Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well-being. But it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called The Good Level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, but The Good Level say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company I found who put a face on the brand and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram at the.good.level and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. Hello and welcome to another episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Now, Headstrong is a podcast where I invite on a variety of guests in the public eye, be them actors, presenters, sports individuals and so forth, to talk to them about their journeys and their lives and their careers. But notably, I want to talk to them about their vulnerabilities to learn what the word headstrong means to them. I am currently in my sixth series and today's guest is rather wonderful. I am joined by TV presenter Danny Mingus. Danny is known for hosting and presenting A Place in the Sun. We had an incredibly deep conversation, all things mental health as well as some other wonderful bits in her life. We talked about her experiences with depression and weight loss at university, some of those deep low thoughts that she experienced at that particular time as well as a wild trip to Mexico as a model and the experiences out there. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and indeed find it inspiring. I would really like to thank Danny for being so open and honest and joining me on the podcast. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Very chilled. I've been up in Scotland for a week uh, visiting my family and, yeah, sleeping more than I ever normally sleep. So, feeling good. Very important. Now, in a similar breath to that first question, I have started this sixth series by asking every guest the same question on just not how they are, but how are you feeling? How is life at the moment? Are you content? Are you stressed? How's it all going? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right now, mainly because I've had a week off, but also just because I've been back at work. So I think being off work for a while, it got, well, the last lockdown, it got quite hard. It got, you know, a bit bit depressing for everybody, I think. Um, so now that I'm back on the road every few weeks and life's all happening again, I'm feeling really positive. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the summer, really. Yeah, well, of what's left, what's left. Yeah, what's left of it. But I'm sure your summer goes on a bit longer than ours does. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about that lockdown experience for you then, because you are the host of a travel show. Mm. So to me, that immediately poses some problems and issues. Um, what, what, where were you, first of all, when you were, were locked down back in, what, 18 months ago? Um, I was actually in Spain filming and it all sort of started kicking off and becoming a bit more real and then suddenly we were all getting last minute flights home as quickly as we could so it was it was a really weird experience actually because it just didn't it felt like you were watching a movie and it wasn't real it was like what this is actually happening Um, so that was yeah that was all a bit mad and we sort of rushed home and I pretty much packed up my things and, and got straight back to Scotland before we went into full lockdown um, so that I could be close to the family and help them out and yeah just escape London really so yeah I was, um, I was very lucky to be able to get here to be honest. Yeah having that open space some nice fresh air I mean it can't 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 have been too bad fortunately. The in the hills. <laughs> exactly exactly but what, what was your kind of uh, kind of life like because it must have kind of st- I mean it stopped for everybody and of course there was a bigger picture to it but what was your life like then obviously you you probably got back to business with your family and and help helping them run the ship yeah it's strange because actually that lockdown is the first time I've stopped and f- since I've started placing the sun you know like really mm. had like a good few months off so the first lockdown to be honest with you I kind of enjoyed it the weather was good I got to reconnect with all my family, spend really nice time with them, um, get out on the hills. And yeah, it, it was um, it was a big change, but kind of a welcome one that I could enjoy at that point in time. And if it wasn't blatantly obvious to anyone listening, you were born in Scotland, hence you retreated to Scotland. Now, what was it like growing up? In Scotland, because my only uh, memory of Scotland is going to Edinburgh and the Edinburgh Fringe, which I've been to a number of times, but I can I am sure that that is not an accurate representation of what Scotland is actually like. So, what was your what was your childhood like up up there? The, the Edinburgh Fringe was actually on at the weekend. You know, apparently yeah. it, was, it was very strange because usually it's absolutely rammed. Yeah. And and there just weren't that many people going around. You could kind of easily get about Edinburgh. But um, oh. up in Scotland, I mean, my childhood was very much filled with getting dirty, being out in, in on the hills and with the animals. And I'm, I'm animal mad. I, I started rescuing, well, it started with a rabbit when I was about six years old. Um, but I've had numerous rescue animals. So growing up, it was very much, yeah, surrounded by lots of animals and, and getting very muddy. When you rescue an animal, do you feel upset when you have to let it go again? Um, I've most of mine have been rehomed, and so they go somewhere really nice, and you kind of make sure it's a home where they're going to be forever, so that they don't ever end up in in a similar situation. So, yeah, no. You you've got a strong vetting process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I can understand that. Now, you were obviously involved with property from an early age as well through the family side of things. Yeah. What Were there any other passions for you as well? Because obviously you followed that line of work with the family, but there must have been other stuff that you were into. Yeah, I mean, well, animals, basically. So before I, um, well, while I was involved with the property stuff up in Scotland after university, I also started up a riding business. So I got horses. Um, it, it ended up being that they came from meat factories in Hungary and they were rescued by this British lady who'd send them across to me. And I'd sort of rehabilitate them, retrain them and and then sometimes rehome them or, or keep them. Um, so yeah, I, start, I started a riding business with, with rescue animals, basically. And that was a huge passion of mine and probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done and and probably the most therapeutic thing I've ever done the reason I kind of got into it at that point of time was because I had quite a difficult time myself I dropped out of uni after an accident and um, it coincided with 
the time that a, a childhood sweetheart passed away. And so I think there was a bit of, there was a lot going on with me then. Um, so coming back to Scotland and starting that business and working with the animals was something that really, really helped me kind of get back to myself again. It kind of gave me a purpose to go outside every day. And I, I think basically I've always put the animals before myself. So rather than, you know, being in a hole on how I felt, I'd make myself get out and take care of them first and foremost. It really helped me get back to get back to a good place. Um, just so I can understand um, your timeline then, because I, I want to talk about your own experiences with mental health, if you're happy to. Yeah. Um, and so the timeline of the, the stables then, which is something that I also really want to talk about, was it a, a matter of dropping out of uni first and then starting the stables or did the stables yeah. come first? So that was the timeline first. So um, dad built a couple of the stables when I was about 15. I started competing when I was younger, mm. but the actual making it into a business and expanding those, I mean, I, I put the sides on myself of the new ones, but the, it went from being, you know, a couple of little stables in a paddock to 10 stables, uh, outdoor riding school, um, 20, 25 horses. So that was all when I dropped out of uni, I started building that. Sure. Okay. So let's go straight. Let, let's talk about university then first, if we can, because you went from Scotland and, and quite secluded down to Loughborough, which is a, a very good university and known for its fun and its, and its hustle and bustle. What drew you to Loughborough? I mean, was it the kind of still the slight rural aspect of it? No. The oh, only God. reason I applied, I only applied to Loughborough and the only reason I applied to Loughborough was because the English rugby team trained there. <laughs> and they really fancied rugby guys. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, got it. You got it. I don't know. Fair enough. Why not? Um, <laughs> what, what, were you, what were you studying? I studied art. So I did a foundation in art and design and then I started um, doing a degree in textile design. No doubt hoping for some life drawings of the rugby team. <laughs> yeah, actually life drawing was my favourite class. <laughs> Nailed it. Absolutely smashed it. Uh, yeah. Oh dear, oh dear. But uh, in, in a more serious note, um, when you were at university, obviously I'm sure that some listeners are familiar with with you and your experiences, but I was wondering if you might be able to just kind of explain the narrative that led you to a period of kind of almost, you know, depression and your own um, demise of your own mental health. Um, because I know that you have struggled with it yourself and obviously now succeeding in life and having a wonderful time, but you know, everyone has their lows to their highs. And I just was wondering if you might be able to explain that uh, in greater detail, if you're happy to. Yeah, of course. So when I was at uni, I was so incredibly social. I was like, every night of the week, me and my best friends thought we were there girls around town and we had a great time. And we were, yeah, we had loads of friends, very social. And then um, I, had an, I had an accident, which I can laugh about now. But basically I went to a club and I wasn't even drunk. I'll just note that. Um, and I went on a bucking bronco and basically the, the club wasn't up to the right health and safety, safety standards. So when I was on the bucking bronco, they, the guys knew me and they put it on, you know, fast both ways. So it was like spinning. Mm. And I basically got propelled face first into a metal pole. Um, and so my, I split my nose open in two places. You can see the bone. I, I had a bad head injury, basically. Um, and I sort of, I'd got knocked out for a second. And when I came to, I was so used to hurting myself growing up, falling off horses that I was kind of looking around going, where's the blood coming from? And then realized it was coming from my face. Um, so I, I got taken into hospital that sort of got sorted out kind of. Um, and, but it meant that I basically couldn't see properly for nearly a month. Um, and, and, you know, I spent a week just lying down with a pounding head. Um, and so that happened. And shortly before that, um, I had got a call from my cousin saying that, um, a, a chap who, I think I probably fell in love with them was it when I was about 11 years old. Um, and we sort of were on and off throughout our whole teenage years. Um, but I got a call from my cousin saying that he, he had died and he just didn't wake up one day. He had um, a heart problem that, that nobody had known about. So I went up home for, for that funeral. And then shortly after this accident happened, 
And then mentally, honestly, I thought I was fine. I was trying to sort of go about my life like I I would have done before, but something had just changed in my head and I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of it. So basically I, I stopped going outside. I stopped going to my classes. I stopped going to parties. I stopped seeing friends. I'd only see people when they came into my house And after I I put it down to a virus, I thought I had a virus because every time I tried to go outside, I'd be sweating from head to toe. I'd be thinking that I've got to go to the toilet or this panic feeling of like, I'm, I'm dying. Something's happening to me. Like it's really, really dramatic feeling. And I thought, you know, I must have some sort of illness that's making me sweat like this and feel like this. Um, and it, and it took quite a while for me to realize that it was a mental thing. I mean, I, I'd say that I maybe even went on for about a month like that. Um, my parents came down and sort of said, you know, you've not been going to classes. You need to come home with us. And I was going, absolutely not. I'm staying. I'll be fine. Um, and then one day I tried to, you know, I tried many times. I'd get halfway down the street and be sweating from head to toe and have to walk back in through my front door and lie flat on the cold floor. Um but yeah, and then I, I had one day where I was just like, no, there's something, something just not getting better here and not right. And I packed my things up and I put them in my car um, and tried to drive home. But of course, I've been having these sort of episodes every time I go outside. Driving back to Scotland probably wasn't going to go well, but I, I wasn't really thinking like that. So I remember getting stuck in traffic I don't know if it was somewhere, maybe around Oxford or something, somewhere like that, Reading, um, and l- like getting that feeling and being sweating in my car from head to toe and feeling dizzy and sick and sort of. It's funny because you, when you, when the way I felt was, I suddenly was really aware of what everyone else thought as well. That you know they would look at me th- like there was some, you know, what's wrong with that person? When actually the reality is somebody's like that you help them don't you but for some reason I was totally concerned about what everyone else would think of me if they could see me sweating and being sick in my car or whatever anyway the next thing I woke up on a bathroom floor in a um in a gas station um and covered in sweat um and I I don't remember how I got there genuinely I I just I don't know what happened but I got there um and that was that was quite scary because I just totally blanked out um and I got straight in the car and I didn't stop again until I got home drove as fast as I could (laughs) um and that was that was me moving back to Scotland from uni and kind of from there to be honest I, I probably was up and down and then gradually went downhill because my life had just stopped you know I'd had this massive social life loads of friends great time loads of things to do to being someone who was back in Scotland and didn't really know what they were doing with themselves um and and I cut myself off I I deleted Facebook I stopped talking to all of my friends I didn't even tell them I was going um and yeah just it it was a really really weird time and it's so weird talking about it now because I feel like I'm telling a story and it didn't actually happen Mm. you know it feels so long ago in the past now it feels like a different life really yeah but um but yeah so that's kind of where how it all happened well it's good that you can um reflect on it like that now as well obviously it's one of those things that isn't a distant memory that you've recovered from and and kind of learned as an experience and you know, sometimes you just have to go through those kind of things. Um, obviously, I know that is a long time ago. But I was wondering, can I ask a couple of questions about it? Like, thank you for telling me as well. So openly, it was really, it's like, it's, it's really interesting and genuinely inspiring. Like you, people will hear this and see the person that you are now and clearly have grown those butterfly wings once more. Um, <laughs> and, and no doubt are the life and soul of a party. Um, but what, what, were you, what were your kind of like um, emotions at the time then um, of kind of, God, I, I really can't go out and see my friends. I, I can't leave my own house. What, and you weren't feeling quite right and you thought it was a virus. Like, how, how, how are you feeling genuinely inside? I, I was in complete denial, to be honest. I wasn't, that wasn't a point where I was very sad. It was a point where I just didn't understand and I was in denial. And I kept thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine. 
and trying to sort of get on with things and then not being able to do them. So my actual feelings, there wasn't a lot of emotion there. It was just sheer, yeah, denial. And you were just trying to convince yourself that if you yeah. just power through it, life yep. can continue somewhat yep. as normal. And then you realize that actually not, not, not everything can just go on like that. So when you did get back to Scotland then, what, what, what did you say? Did you say to your parents, I need help? Or were you just like, I'm actually going to try and sort this out myself? Um, I didn't really say, uh, I mean, so it was, there was a, I guess there was a bit of time where nobody kind of really understood what was going on with me. Um, I, I feel like even in the last 10 years, we're so much more aware of mental health mm. and, you know, signs and, and whatnot but then it was it was just all a bit of a a bit of confusion from everyone I think um so no one really knew what was going on with me and I didn't really know what was going on with myself and I sort of yeah I I just shut off basically and I don't think I really asked for too much help at the beginning and then after depression really sort of kicked in um I was really low I was crying all the time and that sort of went on for a while. And I sort of set, started saying, you know, I need someone to fix me. And I just, and that was the what I was kept saying and thinking, I need somebody to fix me, which was kind of where I went wrong because somebody doesn't fix you, you, you fix yourself, you know, or you find ways of fixing yourself. But I, wouldn't, I just wanted someone else to do it for me. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so I tried, I tried a few different things. I sort of saw a local counsellor through the, the local GP. Um, I, and, and that was kind of it, really. And then it got to the point where I just, I really couldn't stop crying. Um, and I just, I'd lost a lot of weight because I didn't see the point I never had an eating problem, but I didn't see the point in eating because I didn't want to be here anymore. That was how I kind of thought of it. And then it it kind of hit a low point when um, I was crying in my mum and dad's room. I went upstairs and took myself away from the living room and cried in their room. And my mum came up and said, "What, what can I do? And I just said, let me not wake up tomorrow because I wouldn't ever do anything. It was awful. And, you know, I, I hated doing, I hate, I hate thinking about that now, but um, I, I would have never done anything to hurt myself. I couldn't do that, but I was mentally at a point where I just didn't want to be here anymore. Um, and that, I think that was where mum and dad kind of went, right, we really, really need to do something here. Um, and so I went into the Priory for a little while. Um, and that was an experience. I said, so you do different things when you're there. You Mainly you get given, well, I got given a lot of Valium. Um, so you're a bit of a walking zombie to calm everything down. Um, but then you do CBT and you, and actually one of the things that was quite nice there was just interacting with the other people and talking about their problems and kind of, it puts everything into perspective and you kind of learn from them as much as you do from doing any therapy. Um, so that, that was quite interesting. Having said that, I came out of there and kind of went straight back to feeling how I felt before. I maybe didn't stay long enough or didn't. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, it didn't really fix me, but it was an experience. And then I went and did another kind of therapy with another chap um, who had written a book about timeline therapy. Um, His name was Bryce Redford, I think. And I remember I did like a two hour session with him and I went home and I slept like for a couple of days. (laughs) Um, And when I woke up, I, I literally felt like, just like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders and it, and I really truly felt different now your wow. life doesn't go back to normal in a flash but your mental my mental attitude was different like I I went from thinking I don't want to be here anymore to well if I'm not dead what if it doesn't kill me I'll give it a go you know or even if it does I'll give it a go like my mental attitude just changed to like I can do anything it was it was it was amazing but I think it was also because I was at a point where I was like either I'm not going to be here or I need to find a way to change things. And we kind of hit that low point and then, yeah, things started to get better from there. 
Yeah, it's really interesting about how a mindset shift can kind of change almost everything, your emotions and and your progress and movement. And as you say as well, it's not, you wanted to be fixed, but you wanted someone else to be doing it, but you have to yeah. help yourself in those situations. And I think yeah. as well from, from, I mean, I can't say myself, but from the sounds of things from the Priory, particularly, I think that moment in the car when you were driving home, you probably, when you were thinking about everyone kind of what they're thinking and stuff mm. at moments when you are at your low points, you think that you're, the star of the movie because everyone you think everyone's looking at you but yeah. actually it's quite the opposite because everyone else has got their own demons that they're facing everyone's got something else going on and everyone is probably thinking what's he thinking of me but that person's then thinking what are they thinking of me yeah. you know? <laughs> like every everyone has that kind of i don't know that that attitude that oh it's thinking about me but it's because you're in your own head no one else can hear your own thoughts yeah and so there's this this chaotic turbulent kind of thought process but um thank you for saying that it's really really um interesting to hear and really inspiring as well and obviously i'm delighted that you know you were able to see that guy um that really helped change your mindset i mean that's that's pretty phenomenal as well but it seems like you were in a place where you you reached the trough almost yeah and knew it was now that you needed to yeah lift yourself back up and so that's really good um, what, what happened thereafter then? Cause you were in Scotland, you were surrounded by your family and you started this kind of trajectory up. How, how long after that did London come calling? Well, do you know what's a little bit strange about that? The time, the time frame of when everything happened at that point in my life, honestly, is a little bit blurry in my head because mm. I was in such a weird, weird place, but I'd started the riding school already. Um, mm. and I kind of carried on with that. But it wasn't that long after that um, a family, well, a family friend who's a photographer was up staying up here. Um, and I I didn't really realise, but when I was at university, I was sort of maybe four or five stone heavier than I, than I am now. Um, and then when I started the riding business, I was working so hard on that that it kind of dropped off me over a short period of time and I didn't realize so I had this uh, guy do a shoot with he came up here on holiday and then he did a shoot with me said that I could do modeling I didn't really want to do it but my best friend wanted to be a stylist so I was like all right and then I got so I got picked up by a modeling agency shortly after that and that was kind of because that all just kind of happened the way it did, I was like, right, well, I've got to go with this because this is going to make me go to Edinburgh. This is going to make me go and do things that I think I can't do. Because as much as I was feeling better, I was still getting the physical effects of, of what I had before. So I'd still try and go to town and feel like the, the darkness isn't closing in on me and have a bit of a panic attack. And I'd still think that I I couldn't do all these things, travel, get out into the world. But by having that opportunity, I kind of thought, right, well, I had mum in my head going, just pretend you're Kate Moss, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Physical and mental well-being are so important and come hand in hand. I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well-being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong15 at checkout on their website. So I was like, right, I'm, I'm doing this. <laughs> I remember my first first time I met an agent in Edinburgh, I walked out of the building and I literally just started sweating and got into the passenger seat of the car and just passed out. 
um, because it got my anxiety and panic so like through the roof. But I'm and even just the journey of being in Edinburgh did that as well. Um, but yeah, I did it. And like anything, the more you do it, the more comfortable you become with it. So from then on in, any any opportunity that came my way, I was like, right, even if it makes me feel like I'm going to die, <laughs> I'm doing it um, wherever it is. So shortly after I moved to Edinburgh, because I was getting enough work. Um, and we had someone else take the riding stables on. Um, and then about, I think I'd maybe been in Edinburgh about six months and I was like, right, I want to live in London. The, you know, being in London, getting on a tube, getting on the bus, these sort of traveling bits of traveling that you have to do on public transport was one of the things that I really struggled with. Mm. So I was like, how am I going to manage London? Like, I, the idea of it just blew my mind. So I don't know, I don't know what, why I thought this way and how this happened, but I was like, right, I'll go somewhere else first for a few months, work there and it, make it quite scary. And if I can manage there, London will seem easy. So <laughs> I went to Mexico City <laughs> and um, I had like the most eventful, mental three weeks of my life. I was supposed to be there three months after three weeks I was on a plane home. Oh I probably God. probably nearly got kidnapped three or four times. Um, but I was just like, right, if if I, that was that was horrendous. Now London will seem easy and it did. <laughs> what were you doing in Mexico City? Modeling. And what like why why Mexico out specifically? Was it a job? Or was it an agency well, that drew you out there? What's the what's yeah. the my agency had like a partnership with another agency out there. And mm-hmm. I knew I had a friend, a model friend who lived in Edinburgh that was from Mexico. And she was like, yeah, go, it'll be great. I had never really researched Mexico at all before I went. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking, I just wasn't thinking. It's <laughs> mental. And 10 years ago, it was even more mental. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I pretty much got followed from the moment I got off the plane. Turns out my agent had got in debt with some of the wrong people and he was looking towards the models as like... Leverage. Yeah, leverage. So we got followed in a car the whole time we were there. We came home one day. Um, there was another Russian girl in the model accommodation with me. And we came home one day and she had like a camera on the bed that was worth maybe like a grand or a grand and a half. And the camera was still on the bed, but the big bolts that we had on our bedroom doors had been removed. And we were like, shit, they're coming back for us. Um, So she called her mum and her mum was like, go and see these friends, get out of there right now and left me. So my last night in Mexico City, I had my sofa pushed up against the front door with a pair of scissors in my hand and my bag packed. And at five o'clock in the morning, I went straight to the airport and got out of there. Blimey. Uh, Honestly, that's just a bit of it. The stories that I've got from this trip are like, no one believes me. They're like, that didn't happen. I'm like, no, that actually happened. Oh, even just the very thought of that. I I mean, I knew that it was dangerous, but obviously if you're mixing with the wrong people in the wrong neck of the woods, uh, not you, obviously, but um, knowing about it, yeah. There's... I sort of got off the plane and walked straight into like Vogue castings. Now I'm not a Vogue model. There's a reason I could walk into those castings because tall blonde girls don't go there because <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> You're a target, instant target. So. Oh my word. That is, that is on Yeah. And no wonder London seemed easy. <laughs> exactly. At least everybody could understand what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh my <laughs> word. That is utterly brilliant. I, I mean, God, what an absolute transition from Scotland to Mexico City to I London. I mean, what a route. <laughs> I mean, next time that you do, you are aware that there's a direct train. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I was back for about a week and, I'd, and I, had, I said on the Sunday, right, that's it, I'm going. And on the Tuesday, I was on the train with my suitcases down to London and I, I slept on my friend's sofa for about a month. <laughs> So I won't ask you any more specific details about Mexico because that's probably something that needs to be shared in, in another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Joe Rogan or something. Um, but um, do you still, having had these kind of experiences, do you still get those um, anxieties in public situations now? Or have you learned to control them or manage them or even just kind of own it? Um, I don't. I don't think I do ever get them anymore. Um, 
No, I mean, it's taken a long time. I definitely did for many years. Um, but now I think in, in most situations, I, I don't, it doesn't even cross my mind. Um, I don't get the fight or, fight or flight thing. I honestly thought I'd have it forever. Um, but it seems, it seems to have really just be at bay now. That's great. Uh, I suppose actually being in front of a camera, being yourself be, and being, uh, you know, because, you know, as an actor, for example, it's very different to being you, the person. Uh, and so I imagine getting into presenting was a way to actually get on top of it as well. And I know, though, for a fact that when you did start your presenting, that you ha- had that kind of anxiety and fear of being in front of the camera and trying to make sure that everything was perfect. But then again, it's the practice that makes perfect and yeah. getting comfortable in front of the camera. So tell me about the transition from modeling to presenting then, because how did that come about? Um, I did I did modeling for a while. And again, the industry is very different now and much more diverse and much more accepting of all shapes and sizes. But when I was doing it, it was still very much the skinniest girl. Um, mm. So I basically was hungry and unhappy after a little while of doing that. Um, and I have always been into my sort of health and fitness. So when somebody sort of said, oh, you can do commercial modeling, I was like, what? And be fit and eat? Great. <laughs> and make more money? What? <laughs> um, so that was good. I started doing commercials. And that was when I kind of discovered that I quite liked like acting a wee bit and talking, <laughs> not just being a coat hanger. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of thought I'd try different things. So I worked on a film set for a little while, just like as a runner um, and thought about acting. And cause I did love doing commercials, but when you work on a film set and someone does 50 takes of something, I was like, right. I don't have the patience for this. Um, I, I don't, I can't control it and I don't have the patience for it. And cause you know, the actors are doing a great job and they still want it in 50 different ways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what happens all the time, but it's what happened on the one that, that I worked on. And I just thought, I don't really fancy that. Yeah. And, and I'm not an actor. So probably sat clock gone off. So, <laughs> then, <laughs> so then I, um, I start, I thought I'd try presenting. I had my auntie ringing in my head when I was like 15 saying, you'd be a great TV presenter. And I thought, right, I'll give that a go. And so I just worked and worked for free. I like wrote to different online magazines, went to different music festivals and events and just interviewed people for free and just sort of built up my experience. And I was, I was terrible at it, but I loved the buzz that I got from it. And actually now the one thing I do really like is how I feel when I do it. When I first started, I was so filled with anxiety and just, had no self-worth. I, I, I couldn't, und- I was, I was like fooling myself. I was like, why, right. why, why did you feel you didn't have self-worth when you were doing it? Um, I just didn't, I just, I was faking it. <laughs> the whole thing. I was like, right, fake it, you make it, you're confident, you can do this. And that's kind of what I did in the whole of, the whole of my life after being depressed. I was just like, pretend you're someone else, fake it. The more you pretend it, the, you know, eventually that will be actually how you feel. And that's what I kept telling myself. And the nice thing is that it's true. <laughs> I actually do feel like that now. And, but for a long time, it, it, I felt like it was, I had maybe had a bit of imposter syndrome at the beginning. I was mm-hmm. sort of, you know, w- wanted to do it and was determined to do it, but thought I was rubbish and was, I was always waiting for the call to be fired. After my first show aired, I thought I'm definitely going to get a phone call saying that they've changed their mind because I'm terrible. And just, that was kind of how I always thought about it, but eventually it's gone away. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Of course. I mean, it is, I mean, you always sound like you convinced yourself and then you suddenly woke up one day. Oh, hang on. I actually really am happy. Oh, this is actually me. This is great. Um, so like, we, did you feel like then you were acting a persona and, but now you are yourself? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that's exactly it. So at the beginning I sort of watched other presenters and I tried to be, def- tried to be them basically. Mm. My first show, for example, in a place in the sun is awful. Um, I, I honestly can't watch it. Even the first time I watched it, I was under the duvet. I didn't tell anyone it was going to be on cause I was mortified. Um, and then I just thought that's terrible. They're going to fire me. And I just hated it. But yeah, it's really nice now because instead of trying to be like the Jasmine or whoever else did it before me, now I go on and I I quite enjoy being myself and seeing what I can get away with. (laughs) 
What was that experience like of landing that job then? Because you had been doing some uh, presenting, as you, as you said, you'd started out by doing it for free and then you were doing some events and stuff and then yeah. a place in the sun comes knocking. What was that process of, did you have to audition for that or yeah. your work and then you got the phone call? What was that? Well, I couldn't really believe it, to be honest, because I've been trying for five years. I was nearly 28 and I said in my head, because I got told to move back home and give up a lot. And that was what drove me. Um, but I said to myself in my head, when I turn 28, if it's not happened, I'm going home and I'm working with the horses because I'm just running up a load of debt here. Um, and maybe I don't, don't have it or whatever. And then a friend of mine's agent, a friend of mine got in touch saying their agent was looking for someone who had property experience. And I'd been thinking music, fashion, you know, all the things someone in their mid-20s thinks about for presenting, wants to do, um, T4 kind of vibes. Um, and then, yeah, when they asked, I was like, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't considered doing property, but that's pretty much what I've been in my whole life. Um, so I went along for the audition and the, the first one, I was so nervous. I was awful. But then they said, come back and do it again because we really like you. Um, and I did it again. They sent it to Channel 4. And apparently Channel 4 said, why have we not seen her before? And I thought, well, I've written to you for the last five years, but cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it was when when um, I didn't think I'd get it. I knew it was down to the last few. And then when I got it, I just I screamed, I think. I was on a job and I just started screaming and jumping around and calling my mum and dad. I was like, I got there eventually. Oh. It was very, very exciting. I was over the moon. I bet like all that kind of determination because, you know, being in that industry of people saying, oh, it's just time to give up or it's time to get, or when someone says, go get a real job or something like that. And it's just like, <laughs> just a lot of people just don't understand that industry, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and it's very difficult to take that kind of criticism from somebody that doesn't understand it. Um, yeah, and, sure. and it's so good that you did just stick to it and, you know, had the t- determination. I can't imagine the, the, that feeling of elation though that you had when you did get it. And then the, the feeling of watching yourself under your duvet after the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's, that's wonderful. And I, I, I've got to say, it can't be long then until you're doing your Top Gear audition. <laughs> I wish. I bet that must be a dream, being a petrol head. Come on! Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will keep trying that, keep knocking on that door. <laughs> oh, come on you've got this you've got this you've got this now how, how do you how do you cope with auditions now then because you spoke about that um the first a place in the sun uh, audition and you were just uh, you know a nervous wreck how do you cope now with auditions and just keeping control of your nerves in any situation do you do breathing exercises or working with the animals or yoga what is it that you kind of do to focus on um well, the, the audition side of it, I don't get a lot of them. Um, I'm obviously, a, a lot of them haven't been happening because of yeah. COVID. Um, but So it's more been like meetings and Zoom meetings and that sort of thing. But I do still get quite nervous the first time I chat to someone, especially if it's about something that I would really love to do. And to be honest with you, to date, <laughs> I've probably cocked them up because I get too enthusiastic and too excited. But... I'm trying to get better at remaining calm. Um, I think that's what it is anyway. I mean, I remember a school teacher saying to me, your your best quality and your worst quality is your enthusiasm. And I just, I get really excited and I talk rubbish. So um, I, I yeah. That's contagious though. That's what you want in a presenter, in my opinion. I don't know. <laughs> I'm try- but maybe I'm that's why I'm not an executive. You got to keep it cool. You got to be like, oh yeah, that's nice. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, the, the balance so yeah. is key. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on balancing myself out a bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I actually do a lot of yoga, and I think whenever I don't have yoga in my life, I've, I'm not as good. I don't feel as good. Oh. I, I started meditating as well um, years ago, actually, when I wasn't very well. Um, I used to listen to guided meditations in bed about visualizing your Mm. life as the way that you would want it, the best version of you. And actually, I used to visualize myself in my little house in Kenmore here, um, living in London, doing what I'm doing now. So I'm a big believer in visualizing things. Um, But yeah, yoga definitely is something that I try to keep in my life wherever I am, take my yoga mat on location with me and all of that. Absolutely. Now, something that 
you don't have to answer this if you really don't want to, but I, I was just wanted to ask you out of curiosity, where are you obviously in your life? Because you've been an independent person having got through that stage of your life. How do you feel when you are with somebody? Do you feel like it's difficult to rely on somebody else for your own happiness? Like just generally, not you, but as a, as a bigger picture. Um, because a lot of people who have experienced that, they feel, they feel that they have to be independent and, and strive for the success on their own without relying on somebody else. I don't know where you stand on, on that opinion um, and oh, where indeed you are with kind of love life, not specifically, I don't want details, but... Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm literally in my parents' house right now. There's no love and go on here. Um, I, yeah, that's really interesting because... I think that's actually probably a bit of a problem I have with being with someone or committing to someone because I like my own, you, you sort of, you've relied on yourself so much to get so far and you, yes, it's very hard to to invest in somebody when I think when you've, when you've been through all of that. And I definitely, definitely applies to me. <laughs> Do you find it difficult to kind of let your walls down then? Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying welcome somebody in, but, you know, putting on a, a fierce exterior for a sensitive interior. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. I think, in fact, I know it is. It's what I get told all the time. Um, but the only, t- sadly, the only times I probably have let my wall down a bit, they've been dickheads and cheated on me or something so uh, then they go up even the walls go up even further because that obviously is quite upsetting um but yeah it's definitely hard and and actually uh, I think I'm just too picky as well everyone says I've got to lower my standards a little bit (laughs) strive for the best Danny come on (laughs) um so what does what does the rest of the year hold then for you because you're running your online business yes um, which only launched recently am I right yeah, literally, I've I've done it quite quietly because I I don't know why. I think I was yeah, just why? I don't know. I think I was just a bit, you know, when you've like invest like invested in something, your time and effort and you care. I'm I'm a bit scared for not to for be I don't know not to get a good reaction. So I've kind of done it quite quietly, and I'm hoping to like slowly kind of build it up. Um, so yeah, I literally launched Mingus at Home a couple of days ago. Um, and that was a lockdown sort of project. Mum and I were sitting here. Mum is mad on interiors. So we mm, saw- I can see, I mean, the listener can't see this, but it looks wonderful. It looks amazing. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so we've always sort of shared that, that interest and passion and we decided to put together, um, the, yeah, curate a, a Mingus at Home. So, um, I've used most of the products to furnish my flat and yeah, I, it was quite a fun thing to do over lockdown. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's all going to be going on this year. And then also um, I'm heading off to the airport after this, actually um, heading back down South and then I'm flying out to Spain for three weeks filming on Sunday. Amazing. Uh, and I'm pretty much filming two weeks of every month through till February. Um, and in between working on Mingus at home and maybe coming up with a few other ideas that are in the pipeline that we cannot reveal yeah <laughs> love it. no we love that well uh if you um if you have any spare items going just let me know i'll happy happily take them off your hands um okay. as i'm moving house so that's all we'll good. send you something for your new house no 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 okay fine <laughs> <laughs> Um, I asked this question to, to everybody on the podcast and I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. What does the word headstrong mean to you? Um, to me, I think probably headstrong means not giving up when everyone else tells you to give up. Very nice. Short, succinct and impactful. Mm. Lovely. Keep going. And yeah, just go with what you feel was right in your gut and not so much what, what people are saying around you. 100%. Well, look, I, I have really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I think it's a really, um, really inspiring episode. And I've, I've learned a great deal about you because I don't think you actually talk about this very often. And I know that it was a long time ago. But um, thank you for going into such depth and, and inspiring detail on this. And I hope that the listener has enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> It's great to have teamed up with The Good Level, a British CBD company who share a similar ethos to that of Headstrong. 
The Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny, believe in CBD as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being. Whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep. The Good Level has well-being at the very centre of their brand. As we've partnered up with them for this season, you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using Headstrong15 at checkout. And if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. You can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level. And that's Headstrong15 at checkout. And that concludes this episode of Headstrong. I would just like to extend my gratitude and thanks to Danny once again for joining me on this episode of Headstrong. I really enjoyed talking to Danny and I hope that you found the conversation inspiring and engaging. If you did enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe, rate, share it with your family and share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning into Headstrong and I will see you next week for another episode. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.